accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. everybody, welcome back to the show. Continuing our run through Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the episode called Valiant, the 22nd episode of the sixth season. First aired on May 6, 1998. Written by Ronald D. Moore and directed by Michael Vehar. In this episode, fleeing a Jemadar attack aboard a runabout, Jake and Nog are rescued by a Defiant-class ship crewed by an over-eager Red Squad cadets who are biting off more than they can chew. I didn't really like that description, I don't think. Anyway, we're joined by Clay. Clay, how are you? Listen, uh, I'm starting to feel like I'm in some sort of monkey's paw situation because I don't want any more romantic relationships. Quark, <laughs> Quark's got to keep it in his pants. Let's not go down this road. It feels like it's getting towards the end of the series where it's like, well, who else can we put together? Um Let's like, just uh, draw it out of a hat. Like nine hundred two and zero, it's like who hasn't been paired at this point in our seventeenth season that we can yeah. stick together. I, and the, I mean, the quirk I, thing came I, out of nowhere, really, honestly. Yeah, and after that scene, I just shut the rest of the episode off, so I can only <laughs> assume the rest of it was only about that. It's about his valiant heart and his uh, his uh, heart of true love. Is this going to be like a running thing now? That he's got a crush on Dax? No, I I I didn't remember that scene at all, so I don't think it. I don't think it really matters all that much. Um, That's really weird. I could be wrong. They could bring it up maybe over the course of the remainder of the season or something, but I don't. I don't remember it, so I. I don't know. It sticks out as a as a, a sore thumb, as a cold open. I think because it has literally Hope- nothing to do. Better than something else Hope- sticking out, I suppose. Right. Hopefully, uh, hopefully they. After they shot it, they watched and they were like, oh, this, no, this is a terrible. Let's just not ever do this ever again. <laughs> Let's take a break. We're going to play an audio clip, and then me and Claire are going to come back and we're going to break down Valiant. You're a reporter. Your job is to watch the way events unfold, not participate in them. Right now, you need to stand back, take a look at where you are, what's going on around you. You're right in the middle of a great story. Maybe one of the greatest stories in the entire Dominion War. First thing to say, Clay. The mm. Defiant class ships have excellent names. I like Defiance. Yes. I like Valiant. Yeah. I like uh, I like the whole thing that they've got going on with their names. But the the serious thing that I wanted to um, sort of a minor point that we can kick off. But I think it's really interesting. Uh, maybe this is kind of a controversial opinion. Let's see what you think. The destruction of the Valiant is the best starship destruction across all of Star Trek, including movies and everything like that. Uh, I would be inclined to agree with you. Um, you talking like just how, how it was depicted or sure, like, the, like everything about it, the events like, that uh, the, the events that go into the destruction of the ship, yeah. I guess. So ignoring sure. like the plot and things like that, but just the, the way that it's shot, the way that it looks and the sort of feeling that it evokes from seeing the ship get destroyed. Yeah, no, I, in that case, I would probably agree. Cause, uh, um, I thought it was really effective. And uh, really well done, and I was I was legitimately shocked that they killed everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I was I thought it was good, you know I thought I don't know what I was expecting to happen, but I wasn't I was not expecting um, them to just completely get wiped out. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing. I think just we'll, we'll get more into the tone later on, but I just thought like it looked really unique. It didn't look like anything yeah, Star Trek did. had done. The way that the um, 
the escape pods kept getting picked off by the Jem'Hadar warship yeah, as they were launching brutal. out was pretty brutal. Like it, and then the destruction of it itself blowing up looked very good for a Star Trek thing. They obviously put a lot of work into it. And I think it's the, I think it's actually the right choice that they put a lot of effort into that because I think that it ties in nicely with the episode itself. But what did you think of Valiant the episode? Uh, I thought it was great. I really liked it. Um, I was really surprised by it. Uh, I, I. It it totally caught me off guard because I had – in the first 10 minutes or so, you usually get a pretty good idea of what these episodes are going to be about, whether it's from the cold open or from like the next cup, next scene or so. And I was just like in the process of rolling my eyes harder than I ever could roll them before when they were like, oh, we're going to go meet the Grand Nagus and shit. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Did you think it was going to be a Ferengi episode for a little bit? Yeah, I just yeah. assumed that it was. Yeah, I didn't know anything about it. Um, so when they got attacked and then they got picked up by the Valiant ship and then it turned out they were uh, – at f- <laughs> when they when they got picked up, my first thought was, ooh, I like these uniforms. Uh, but then I once <laughs> they realized it was uh, – yeah, once once they revealed it was the Red Squadron, I was like, oh, okay, they're all cadets. I, I get it, yeah. Do you remember I, them? See, I do, yes. Okay, yeah. They they were last and, seen uh, in Homefront and Paradise Lost, which is the Changelings on Earth two-parter. Yeah, it's funny, because I really liked the... Um, I don't I don't remember what the designations are, but the for lack of a better term, the engineering class uh, uniforms with the yellow on top. Yes. Uh, I liked those a lot, and they really stood out as being interesting uniforms and then once they went under the bridge and i saw the red version i was like oh yeah this is what nog was wearing for like two seasons because right. he was a cadet yep. yep um which made me like it a little bit less but the the yellow ones still look good they look good they, um, look, they look a little bit like painter uniforms to me like they're they're sort of yes, um that color gray is yeah yeah they're very and sort of baggy in a way that the other stuff is not baggy at this point but yeah they they look unique and um I'm sure after you saw the Nagus thing, you were relieved that it was an episode filled with basically child actors who were going to to care. You know, honestly, (laughs) I thought they were pretty good for the most part. I think the acting – I thought the acting really fell off during the battle sequence. And I don't know whose fault that is, whether or not that's the director's fault or what. But I thought everybody got really stiff, especially that that woman who was the commander. I thought she was terrible in in that scene. I thought she's uh, the weakest of the actors, actually. Yeah. But I think she has the hardest role to play. And I, I think there's this is gonna be one of those I don't want to say this is like the Royale for me, but I, I have I have a weird how you think about this episode, I think, ties into whether or not you think that what they're doing as actors is intentional. And if if it's intentional, is it saying anything? And I guess to that point where they are, like, the acting sort of falls apart in the battle sequence at the end. Is that supposed to be a representation of children cracking under pressure, of realizing, like, what's going on uh, around them? For me, no, because I didn't feel like that's what was happening. Everything just felt really flat. Like, I didn't – I the thing that I kept thinking to myself as this stuff was happening was I want – there should be more intensity here. It should be – it should go either way. It should be either – they're really intense about the situation and they're trying to keep it together or they're cracking. I just felt like it was really flat. Like I, it, it felt to me like actors who didn't understand exactly what was going on in the scene that they were doing, you know? So if it's, I I could understand it being, if this was like your first time on a Star Trek show and all of a sudden they're like, yeah, you're under attack. Okay. Now shift to the left. 
Okay, now shift back to the right. Don't don't worry. We're shaking the camera. It looks right. like every you're getting destroyed. <laughs> it looks great. Like, looks I can great, see guys. that. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that being tough. Like you know, the first time you had to do old school CGI acting, and it's just like, okay, now look at the tennis ball. You know, um, so I feel like they didn't really give me a lot uh, at the end. Um, but as aside from that, I thought the guy that played the captain, I thought he was really good. Yeah, he's good. Um, and the, I think the female as, cadet who cracks earliest and talks to Cisco is the best, actually. Yeah, she was good. Yeah, I liked her. Um, I think it gets a little weirdly fascistic, uh, and I guess that's kind of the point, but it just kind of came out of nowhere towards mm-hmm. the end. Uh, so that was a little bit weird, but, um, overall, I thought the story they were telling was really interesting. I thought the, the, uh, using the, uh, the, the red squadron thing and also the fact that he, uh, this dude was now the captain and could give Naga rank is a perfect way to uh, exploit his desire to, you know, A, fit in, and B, be a Starfleet officer. Yeah, excel. So that, yeah, yeah that whole thing, him going on to their side so quickly made sense to me. Um, I thought Jake was really wasted in this episode because they make a big show out of him being, like, the journalist, but he doesn't really do anything. Like, he's never doing any journalism. He's just sort of, like, hanging around. I would argue that him getting that girl to cry is journalism. He He's trying to figure out what's going on. He he sort of walks into it in that she seems like a time bomb who's ticking, like she's just waiting yeah. to break. So he doesn't he doesn't have to ask any hard questions to get her to um, splinter. But I, I, I think that's their attempt at journalism, is that sort of him digging around and asking questions, uh, even I if guess. he's not reporting on it. I, yeah, I maybe I I I was kind of turned off by this when they have that scene where they're like, uh, you know, we completed our mission, but if we're gonna go in and destroy these guys, and he's like, hey guys, uh, you all know me because you all know who my dad is. Yeah, um, my dad would never do anything like this, so you guys probably shouldn't do it. If I was them, I would have been like, throw this asshole in the brick, <laughs> get them the fuck out of here. What's um, I I I'm very conflicted about this episode. I I like it a lot. I'm. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like this is a. Um, I feel like this one is one of those great episodes that just isn't pulling things together quite enough at the uh, at the end of the mm-hmm. day. Um, I guess I'll I'll open it by what is this episode about to you? Like, wh- what are they saying here? Because I think one of the problems for me is that I'm not clear what the episode is yeah. trying to talk about. Because to me, this seems mostly like it's a Lord of the Flies Star Trek episode. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be what happens when children, basically, or like naivete takes over in a wartime effort. And it's kids who don't really know what's going on. And they're trying to play the hero. And they're not sure what it actually takes to be a hero uh, the way sure. that Cisco is. And I feel like they wanted to go down that path. But I feel that they did not stress the fact that they were kids enough. To me, it just felt like young people playing Star Trek officers. And it wasn't mm-hmm. like they were kids who were in a bad situation trying to stick to the rules that they knew. Like, this is how we're supposed to act in this situation. So it doesn't come across as the tragedy, ultimately, that I think it's supposed to be. And I think that's kind of the biggest problem with it. But did you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I it felt like they were kind of trying to go, I mean, especially from the way it ended, it felt like they were trying to go 
for the naivete and, and the blind loyalty kind of thing. But I, you know, as, as much as I was going like, okay, I see what they're doing, especially like with, what does he say at the end? He says like, uh, he may have been a hero. He may have been a great man, but he was a bad captain. I thought that was a really interesting line, but like, I don't think for a second, let's take out all of these kids and replace them with fully ranked officers from Starfleet who are experienced. If they, if the captain comes in and says, this is what we're going to do. No one's going to say no. Right. Like the, the same, the same thing is going to happen. Except the the only difference maybe being they have a better idea of how to get out of the situation when it fails. And I I can um, see real Star Trek captains in a Star Trek episode making the decision that this kid made that we have to destroy this ship. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I could I could I mean I could see Picard making a decision like that. Absolutely. So it's. That doesn't. I, I feel that they're underselling even the, Cisco. I think you know. Yeah, Cisco I definitely think, would. Yeah, I think Cisco 100 percent would make that decision if you if you were in a situation like that where it was. I mean, <laughs> Cisco. Cisco just got a, an ambassador murdered in order to get the Romulans <laughs> into the war. I think he'd be willing to take a shot at blowing up this Death Star. Thing, yeah, killing you know? killing the actual enemy is a, a walk in the park for him. I I think that the. That's that's pretty much my big problem. Like I I see so much potential with this episode, and I I really still think it's very good. But I'm left. Here's the here's one thing that stuck out to me that I wish uh, that I I don't even know if this is a fix, but I thought it might have been something along the lines of what I was doing. If I was to rewrite this episode, I would take Nog out and I would replace him with O'Brien, so that O'Brien O'Brien is the only. <laughs> Is the so, only- feel, so you would feel totally emasculated <laughs> the entire episode. So, well, it, it helps that O'Brien is not enlisted, right? So he is right, he right. is inferior to all of the other kids on this ship. They have to they mm-hmm. can order him around. However, mm-hmm. he is the only adult in the room who uh, would be able to kind of he he would be the voice of like, what the hell is going on? Like, why are you guys like we need to we need to be realistic about what's going on? We can't just go off playing the hero. And I think that they would have imprisoned him in the brig, and that would have been the story yeah. to go along with. And they didn't do that because I think they tried to turn it into some kind of Jake and Nog thing, but I don't think that really matters to this episode. Mm. And what I'm really interested in here is the Lord of the Flies DS9 theme of when society starts to fall apart, what takes its place? And and what DS9 is saying, just like Lord of the Flies is saying, is that authoritarian ism takes over mm-hmm. and that the, the kids who are in charge just start becoming dictators basically saying like you're well, gonna you're gonna listen to me and you're gonna do this yeah i mean i i feel like that doesn't really and i i mean i think this is part of your point i don't really think it goes that far down that route um no it doesn't like they they give you a little bit of of stuff like that where like the dude's taking amphetamines or something <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I don't know what that was supposed to be about, on the fact that he just like hadn't slept and probably wasn't. Uh, I guess he's uh, not. You can't top, top notch of his mind at that yeah, point. You yeah, you can't. You can't have a Star Trek captain or admiral just make bad decisions. He has to be like high, inebriated <laughs> in some way, or completely, completely evil. Right. Um, I thought I noticed the most when the guards arrest Jake Sisko, they kind of hold the guns in his face. Very sure. Like, yeah. It, that yeah. Kind that's of what thing. I mean. Yeah. That's what I meant when I said it got like really fascistic very quickly. But I think I think the biggest problem with with going that way is they establish 
at the beginning that these guys are doing a pretty good job. Yep. You know, they, they've been zipping around inside the Dominion territory for like eight months or something. Yes. Just, yeah. you know, bumping people off and they took off, they took out this Jem'Hadar ship. And so they're, and the captain is super confident and uh, he comes off as a very capable person. And the stuff he's telling them that they did is, is like, these guys are legit. These guys are, are making, are making a difference or something. They're, you know, they're, they're killing people. They're getting the job done. Um, so I, I don't know where exactly the conflict is supposed to originate from. Maybe that's not the right way to put it, but let's put it this way. When, when you get to the point where they're like, we've, we finished our mission now, but we have this opportunity to try and take down this ship. There, I don't know where the turn comes from. Yeah, we're just a Starfleet ship doing our thing, doing the best that we can with the situation. Into this is a a a, a, a lesson of tragedy, a lesson yeah. learned through tragedy. Because the again, the only person who who voices an opinion about it is is Jake, and I. It's it's a tough thing to try and sell because I get the conformity thing because I get that Nog falls in, um, but again they're doing a pretty good job. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't I don't know like if Jake is supposed to be this like voice of reason against the the mind of the the war machine and and these are supposed to feel more like Hitler Youth soldiers or something. I don't really think they do enough work to try and show that, you know? No, I, I would, I mean, I'm just going to keep mentioning Lord of the Rings because I think that's what they're kind of aping here. Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies, Lord of the, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Lord, that's a different episode. <laughs> they throw the ring into the valiance at the end. I, I think that um, Lord of the Flies, you would have, there would be a very small click around the captain who are using yeah. force to cause the other cadets to fall into line. And yeah. that I think that's what, that that's the that would be the conflict of the episode, right? Because yeah, if the, if yeah. you think that this guy is actually doing the right job by destroying this thing, he's doing it in the wrong way by forcing the others to do it with him. And if the, like if all the other cadets just wanted to go home and he was not allowing that to happen, right? That yeah. gives me the, that's the moral dilemma I think that's yeah. there. But as you're saying, it doesn't exist. So my question to you, I guess, would be, what do you think this episode's about? Would you agree that it is that and they just fail to do it, or is it actually talking about something else in the long term? No, I think I think that's what it is supposed to be about. I just don't think they totally stick it. Because um, I think I think what I would do, I don't know if I, I mean, I see what you're saying with the, with the O'Brien thing. Um, I personally think it's more interesting with Jake and Nog, actually, because you've got, I think having Nog there to be the one who sidles up and joins the joins the cause so quickly, I think is very interesting that you wouldn't have that with O'Brien. And I think Jake makes sense to be someone who on the outside, who's not a Starfleet officer uh, or involved in Starfleet at all uh, to be the counterpoint to it. I mean, they even call it out when they get there when they're like, Oh, you didn't follow in your dad's footsteps. huh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, you get, you, you get some of it, you know, uh, you've got the, the stuff where the girl's crying and and you know the 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 commander there is like there's no crying in Starfleet or whatever she says like they're definitely leaning into the more um, militaristic aspect of it uh, but yeah I don't think they just I, I don't think they go far enough in really 
getting into that stuff. I think what I might have done is kind of what you're saying where there would be more of a click around the captain and the, you know, the top tier command guys, but then have on the flip side, more characters like the girl who breaks down. Yeah. She, uh, she's too she, important to have only be the one person I think who yeah. breaks down. Yeah. Yeah. I, she's, I guess she's supposed to take the place of everyone else who feels that way. Cause you yeah. know, you only get so much time, I guess, <clears throat> excuse me. But uh, you know, you could have, you could have had, more stuff like that peppered throughout the the show, like uh, you know when they're in the engineering room and and uh, I would say that whole montage where they're getting ready and everyone's very excited yeah, should have been weird montage should have been should have been replaced with a montage of sad people. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know that montage kind of. I think again, I think that was an element that just didn't land the way they thought it was going to. Because that montage felt like it belonged in like Starship Troopers, right. where it's like these these young cadets all suiting up to fight the enemy and this like sort of militaristic patriotic music playing in the background. But it doesn't feel like a satire, you know, yes. it just feels like a, a weird you – know, like the music wasn't even that that patriotic or militaristic sounding. It was like quasi that. Yeah. I feel like you'd have to go harder in that direction. But like that scene in the engine room. When uh, Nog is fixing the warp drive and he, and the captain's like, well, what do you think, engineer guy? Will this work? And he's like, I don't know. If you give it a shot, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like if, if, if he had if, – if that guy had been like more exasperated or something and he was like, I don't know. I'm willing to try anything. And the captain was like, I'm sorry. What did you say? You know, that kind of thing. Right, yeah. Where the yeah. captain has to like snap him into line. Like these guys have been out here for a while. Uh, clearly – I think that's what was missing. That that stressor on the on the valiant crew, I don't think was there. They came off as too cool, too competent, and too united. Too, yeah, too definitely too united. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and it's it's too bad because even I, if they had, sorry, I don't mean to cut you. No, off. go ahead. Uh, even if they had the girl who cries reach out to Jake instead of vice versa, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. If, if yeah. she had, if she just started like pouring her heart out to him instead of him needling her until she breaks right stumbling into it himself yeah yeah it's um it's too bad because i i really like everything else that's going on and um i'm not even really that negative on it but i just i think that it's it's almost i'm asking you what you think it's about because to me it's almost not there enough to make me wonder if they're even trying to do that in 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 a strange way and I can't see any reason why they wouldn't do that. That's the only way to me that the story makes sense. And I think that it's a much better episode if I think about it that way. But like, unless they showed me the cut of this and all the bits that are on the cutting room floor are like the character building moments where the Valiant crew are sort of talking about this. It just seems strangely um, a lack of conflict there between anyone. And, And Jake's point I feel like Jake doesn't even have a strong enough point there uh, because he's arguing against what seems to be a pretty decent idea to blow up this warship. They come close and they fail, but it's like it seemed like it was a good effort. And I, I don't know. It's um, if th- go ahead. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Well, well, I was gonna say if even in that scene when they're like, "We're gonna blow this thing up," and it's, it's everything's gonna work smoothly, and he's like, "Hey, uh, you know, my dad would never do this." Even if even if his 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 question had been slightly different and hadn't been, oh, my dad wouldn't do this. If it had been, well, what's your plan if this doesn't work? Because if my dad were going to do this, he would have thought three moves ahead. 
Right. And then, you know, the reaction could be like, well, what do you mean when this doesn't work? Of course it's going to work. You know, like that sort of false confidence would come through uh, instead of Jake just sounding like a dickhead. <laughs> um, you know what I mean, though? It's I like do, there's yeah. – I, 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 even at the end, I liked that scene with Jake and Nog where Jake is um, – in the sick bay uh, where they're talking to the the girl. Yeah, where where he's asking him what he's going to write about and this stuff, and and Nog is essentially saying like, yeah, print the legend. Um, that's a that's a weird. Uh, let's come back to um, finish your point, and then I'll come back to that. I'll just try to remember. Well, I was going to. Yeah, I was just going to say that whole scene even felt a little muddled to me because I'm not really sure. This feels like an episode where where Nog is supposed to learn something, or Nog is supposed to come out of this changed. Yeah, and I'm not really sure what he learns here. Even though he's the one that that delivers that message at the end of he was a bad captain, um, I don't know really what that means for him. I, I mean, I guess he's learned that there's more to command than just getting the pips. Sure, like I, I guess that's supposed to be. I'm I find it more muddling because Jake's the thing that they keep hitting about just print the story, Jake, and see what people think about it doesn't. Mm-hmm. That that seems like a weird lesson in journalism that isn't really applicable to this story, I guess. Like, I, I don't see it as morally confused enough where they just, at the, at the end, they throw their hands up and say, just run the story and put the facts yeah. out there and see yeah. what people think. It, it, it felt like, I, I guess the episode to me feels like they had like four different ideas about what they thought they wanted the episode to be about, but they never really nail any of them perfectly sure. enough for me to yeah. think that it works. and. I feel you could go either way with them, but they never really did it. And that's what leads me to this muddled feeling of like, well, I, I kind of have a sense of this is not the this is not the story that like just let the facts settle. It feels kind of clear cut to me. And yeah. the the bigger compromise to me in the, uh, the way that I like that it ends is that the girl cadet still sees the captain as heroic. Yeah. After yeah. all that, that's the big that's the big like hammer blow at the end that I think is more effective than just Jake writing a story about it. Yeah, I think so too. Um, Because yeah, but unfortunately, again, I think that also muddles the waters a little bit, or muddies the waters a little bit. Because then, what is what is her role in the story? Then, right? No, I mean, I guess it. She swung back and forth. You mean? Yeah, I guess it still works. Um, But yeah, I think I think you're right. I think to the episode's credit, though, for me anyway. I thought what they were, the stuff they were playing with was interesting enough to really keep me engaged. And I, I, think, I love it. I, I think the episode's yeah. great. For for all the yeah. problems I have with it, I think it's like, it's really, it's a really, it felt very unique to me. Like, I haven't seen yeah. another oh, Star Trek episode that really felt like this. Once once they started blowing up the ship, which again, I think is an all-time sequence of, in Star Trek. I thought it was awesome. Uh, the thing I just kept thinking was like, is Nog secretly taking the Kobayashi Maru or something? Like I, <laughs> I kept waiting for the shoe to drop, like the hologram thing to shut off and be like, well, see Nog, this is why you have to make decisions for yourself or some shit. Um, but then no, they, they kill everybody on the ship. Then they start blowing up the escape pods. <laughs> and I was just like, Holy crap. They're just not pulling any punches here. Yeah. Yeah. And I was really impressed by it. Cause I, I haven't seen, uh, I feel like I haven't reacted that way to a ship explosion since, uh, uh, what was it? The when the Jim Hadar blow up the Galaxy class ship? Oh, like, sure, yeah, a couple seasons ago or whatever. Like that was a really great sequence because it, you know, you set your stakes immediately because they're essentially blowing up the Enterprise. Yep. 
Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought this was really well done. It didn't, uh, I could tell it they were doing it with computers as opposed to models. And I think that's, you know, as much as I hate to say it, cause I love models. Um, especially you get some motion with CGI that um, you can't do with models. Yeah. Like the, traditionally you have that, that, that way of ships blowing up where it either all blows up at once or it's a, it's a slow motion thing where like one of the nacelles rockets off into space with the first explosion, and then like the top part just the 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 body of the uh, uh, the body of the saucer section just blows out from both sides. It blows up like there are three different firecrackers at different times yeah, blowing exactly. up inside of it. This yeah. this one it's you know it's flying away and like pieces are coming off of it, and the ship the 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 escape pods are flying out and those are getting picked off. It was it, I thought it was great. I think that it um outside of the the visual aspects which I, I agree with you and I think it's excellent it's a um I think that they what they sometimes fail to do not just Star Trek but everything when they do like a ship blows up sequence is that you don't really get a sense of the there's no like visceral emotion to the storytelling a lot of the times I feel that way about the yeah. Enterprise D destruction and generations it's like it doesn't right. really feel like anything it feels like it's just an event that's happening here I what I really like is that it feels like a pretty normal Star Trek thing as they go about on this bombing mission and they actually succeed in what they were trying to do. And you're like, oh my God, they actually blew up the ship. You, except you don't say that. You just go, yeah, of course, they blew up the ship and now they're all going to go home and that's it. But then mm-hmm. the ship survives and there's this really excellent shift in tone where it becomes, they're no longer Starfleet officers. They become the kids at that point who mm-hmm. have not thought three moves ahead like Cisco would, the good captain would actually have thought of. And just the um, the Jem'Hadar ship evokes the uh, Star Destroyer, right, from Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, like, yeah. it's very similar looking. And as it's just pummeling the Valiant as it's trying to get away, it, it just felt very um, sad to me in a way that other starship destruction sequences don't. And it's like, there's the personal thing of the kids are all dying and everyone's blowing up and they've all totally failed. And it's just you feel bad almost for the ship that it can't get away from this thing. Yeah, and yeah. It, it, it works on a lot of different levels. You know you know what I also might have done, too? I might have ended this episode with Nog getting a promotion. Oh, interesting. Because, uh, because I actually thought when I, was, when I got to the end, I was like, honestly, for, for being the one who didn't know if he was ready for the job, he handled himself better than everybody else when <laughs> push came to shove. Like yeah. he fixed the warp drive, no problem. Um, then when shit started going, going down, he stuck to his post and was like, you know, way ahead of everybody else as far as what they were going to ask him to do. And then he's like, the ship is done. We got to get out of here. He saved some lives. He saved Jake. Uh, I think he would have been worthy of a promotion. And I think he would have had this really interesting thing. Um, he wasn't just given the pips in that case. Like he actually went yeah, through the, but the even, process. Even so, even so, he, he, he earned them, but the, what he ended up having to do and what he had to be a part of in order to get them is really conflicting, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, because he's not, it's not like he just put his time in and, and just made his promotion. He's like, no, it had to, it had to be, it had to uh, involve being the only, the only survivor off of a failed suicide bombing mission. You know, yeah, yeah I, I think- guess while well, suicide bombing, which if it's failed, if yeah, but you know what I mean? You know what I mean? I, I think that works. And I think that the way that it would have, the way that I would add that is that uh, Nog would become 
a part of the command click that's controlling the Valiant. Like he would be invited into that inner circle. So mm-hmm. his decision at the front of it is to do this bad idea, which is the ties into he's just given the pips and then he decides to do this idea with them. Yeah. Yeah. By saving Jake and the girl and fixing the warp drive, like basically being the hero by the end of it, he actually deserves the promotion at that point. Right. However, he right. still made the wrong decision in the first place. So you're left exactly. with this. Is he the is he a good enough man to be a captain? Question. And then and then after, let's have this short little promotion scene or whatever. And then Jake comes up to him and, and they start talking and Nog's like, you're going to write about this, right? And he's like, yeah, I'm going to write about it. He's like, what are you going to say? And he's like, I don't know. What do you think I should say? That's when if he yes. says, yeah. just write the story and let people take, you know, like, cause, cause there's, what is the story there? You know, there's, they're either Nog is a hero or Nog is part of the problem. Right. So that, then you have much, that scene makes a lot more sense if there's some, you know, gray conflict in there as far as uh, uh, Nog is concerned. Yeah. No, I like that. I, um, I think it's a good episode just, uh, just by what it makes you think about, even if it fails at a few things. But I just, yeah. I, I do really want to stress that I enjoy it. It's just that it has that one mega problem, I think, of not really embracing what it's about fully enough and really sticking to it. But outside of that, I think it's excellent. So let's take a break. Uh, we're going to play an audio clip. Me and Chloe will come back. We'll read some patron thoughts and give our final thoughts about Valiant. If he failed, it's because we failed him. story too let people read it and decide for themselves he may have been a hero he may even have been a great man but in the end he was a bad everybody so if you enjoyed the content today you can support the show at patreon.com slash the penske file a couple dollars a month you get extra stuff there's extra podcasts extra videos q a's a a's blah 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 blah, all that stuff and also the captain tear gets a shout out special thanks go to andrew churlog ben douglas bradley killens captain quirk cardinal doomsday christian pouch david k Dwayne hackett eric johnson yarpy joint mango kevin reyes kyle barrett Matt Cutler, Matt Ross, Mike Burnett, Nathan Elliott, Neil Brennan, Nick Sergi, Robert Cummins, Russell Elledge, Samuel Custer, Grim Santo, Sean Spinobi, Tark Latif, Vault 13 Hero, and Will Yates. Thank you very much, guys, for supporting the show. Let's go to patron comments here, I think. If you're a patron and you support the show, you can leave your comments about upcoming episodes and we read them on the podcast. Dwayne Hackett says, Valiant, Starfleet's arrogance at its finest. This episode not only raises more questions on who is actually managing Starfleet Academy and how are they not fired yet. Samuel S. says, two words for this episode, wasted potential. I really thought this was going to be Jake's finest hour, standing up to the crew of cadets brainwashed by their own image of each other. But no, he gets tossed aside halfway through the show and the episode just sort of meanders for 40 minutes until everybody dies, two out of five. It is It is kind of weird that he just gets thrown in the brig and then, like... There's not even a scene, at least unless I'm remembering it incorrectly, there's not even a scene where he tries to reason with somebody, you know? No. Like, but d- does, you would think that the the, the, girl, the crying girl would, would be in there at some point and he would try to talk to her. To, I don't know. Do I, I Maybe I'm thinking of the episode that we just kind of rewrote, but even still, isn't his isn't it kind of his purpose just to be there though? Like he's, yeah, he's supposed yeah. to just be recording. Yes. And I actually don't yeah. know if it's in Jake's character yet to really stand up to people that way you know what i mean like he's he's still kind of a kid who i can see 
even though these are other kids, they're still cops to him, you know, in a lot of ways. And like, he would just kind of mm. sit down and go to the break and everything like that. I, I could see Jake's eventual characterization being the reporter who will ask the hard questions, but he's not there yet. I don't think. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Chad Wiley says, Valiant, in pretty much any TV series, my least favorite type of episode is the one where you're suddenly expected to care about a bunch of guest stars. It feels like fan fiction episode or a backdoor pilot for a spinoff. It can work if the guest stars are really good, but these kids aren't. And in this case, our main characters are Jake and Nog, who are almost guest stars themselves compared to the main cast. So I find this episode kind of boring. You people are blowing my mind. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we're splintering from um, a lot of listeners at this point. Norman Buckwald says, I did, "To be fair, to be fair, I did for about half the episode think that this was some sort of backdoor pilot for like Kid Voyager or something, where it's just <laughs> the, the the Valiant is out there and it's piloted by kids Saturdays at three. Well, it's an interesting question for um since we are so since we've watched like a hundred fifty episodes or something of DS Nine at this point, are we get are we just becoming more drawn to the unique episodes than anything?" You know what I mean? It's like you mm. we we've moved out of the these are the episodes that I like to watch when I'm clicking through Netflix into a like mm. wow, I've never seen anything like that, so this is automatically a great episode to us. Um, well, I what do you what's the flip side to this? You uh know? what do you mean? Like if I don't think I don't think giving this one high marks for trying something different is any less valid than giving uh, uh, any of the episodes from that six-part crossover high marks for trying something different, you know? Yeah, I, I don't even agree with what I just said, but I, I no, think No, I know. That- I'm not saying that you do. I'm just, yeah. you know, I, I don't, I think if you, I think there's a difference between trying something and failing miserably, like say uh, the War of the Prophets or whatever the fuck we just watched the last episode. Yeah, yeah, The Reckoning. <laughs> yeah, or trying something and kind of kind of sticking, like you know, breaking your ankle on the on the dismount, but it still looked pretty good. You yeah, know, it was a I hell think of a flip, yeah. yeah, exactly. I'd, I'd agree. I um, and that's I mean, also, I if you've been listening to this show for a long time, you should know that high concept that kind of they don't totally nail is worth more to me than straight down the middle uh, three episode, you know? Right, an excellently done three, basically. Mm. Um, Norman Buckwald says, in Deep Space Nine, in general, it seemed like to, it, it seemed they liked to take literary and pop culture works and give them their own twist. Sometimes it succeeded in, for example, in Necessary Evil. It's an excellent homage to the film noir detective novels. By contrast, we have awful ones such as Brigadoon in Space or Loxana Crates Midsummer Night's Dream. I think you know which two episodes I'm referring to. Valiance is the Lord of the Flies in space, and, well, I think it mainly failed. The premise was problematic. I mean, yes, Red Squad is the best of the best of the Academy, but in a defiant-like ship? Are you kidding? Was a changeling incognito responsible for this one? Anyway, it was obvious the Red Squad was really the redshirt squad from the beginning. The typical egos and seeing Jake being imprisoned was immediately obvious. This is one of the rare true dampers of an otherwise excellent sixth season. Well, I guess it's not like a certain Ferengi episode. Oh, and to further make my point, uh, to... Bring my point home. I enjoyed Rascals over this episode, although maybe not in the Children Shall Lead. Interesting. You people. You people. You people. Is there is this Ferengi one he's talking about? Is that have we yet to watch it? No, it's coming up next. Okay. Well, I'm gonna just say I'm gonna give it a five just out of spite. <laughs> Profit and lace is what it's called. 
Um, Matthew Ross says, Valiant, Captain Ahab syndrome? So if these cadets are so good, what made them think a light escort could take on a battleship? Arrogance and pride go before the fall, and it was apparent that we are all to hate the Red Squatties, from the discount Ben Affleck to the angry XO with the tight hair. Still, it was rather enjoyable watching the fall. The realization that no one is perfect is not a surprise, now that there are those who delude themselves to think they are greater than they are. You know, I, um, I retweeted, uh... There was this thread on Reddit and the Star Trek subreddit about like what are some underrated bad episodes? Basically, what are bad episodes that no one ever talks about being bad? Yeah, mm-hmm. and there were a lot of great episodes listed in there. Yeah, and I think what I'm seeing is that the the common criticism was purely a technical problem with the script. Mm-hmm. Like all How's of the, the time orb work, Wes. Yeah, how it, does it, the time orb? It's work? basically the time orb or the children of time, like the. Which it's time travel always kind of walks into it because of the nature of what time travel is in a story. I you need to tell you send me the link to that so I can create a throwaway Reddit account and just blow up their spot <laughs> by just tearing down City on the Edge of Forever in that thread. But I, I think that's good. Like I'll I'll pick on Matt Ross here. Just so his point is, what, if the cadets are so good, what made them think that the escort could take on a battleship? But I, like th- that's, that's not that's they're good, right? The the point is that they. <laughs> They think that they're the best of the best. They have that yeah. very um, Battlestar Galactica chant thing at one point. Like he says that, like mm-hmm. we are Red Squad, and they all go like, "Yay!" And like that's the it's not a that's not a script problem. That's that's like right. what that's what's innate to these characters that's driving them to do these right. things. And and honestly, their plan isn't terrible. It's not. It terrible. just doesn't work. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, they even go. They even say like, "Well, we've got a really tiny ship compared to this thing. If we stay close to the surface, they shouldn't be able to hit us." I feel like isn't that exactly what Han Solo does in <laughs> Empire Strikes Back, where he <laughs> he sticks to the side of the thing until they get rid of the garbage? Yeah, you fly down you know, the little valleys that are in the Death Star for some reason, and you can take them out, and it works. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a sound plan. It just didn't work. Zam Nuclear Wessel says, "I like this one, and I find its exercise in group thinking disturbing in a good way." But Jake's line that his father would never have taken such a big risk would have been better with quote unless he had to, and you don't have to on the end of it. That's interesting. Uh, that's that's I'm I'm down with that. That's that's an interesting fix there. Yeah. Yeah. Will Yates says Jesse from Catwalk as a fanatic meth head captain signed me up. I really think Jake would have fought harder against getting blown up by a bunch of kids. I also don't think Nog would have drank the Kool Aid the way that he did. I know he was all gung ho about Red Squad in the academy, but now he's a commissioned officer attached to one of the most important commands in the Federation. It does show what can happen when young minds drown in ideology almost to a point of brainwashing. Lastly, if they wanted to make this true to life, I'd imagine there would have been quite a few more expectant mothers on that ship of late teen and early 20-somethings <laughs> with nothing but time and stress to do I, I was kind of thinking that, too. I was like, man, they must be boning each other like crazy. How do they get anything done? Kyle Barrett says, for better or worse, this concept strikes me as a premise that could easily be turned into some teen Star Trek show on CBS All Access. The episode itself has to strike a balance in order to tell the story at once, but I wish they amped up some aspects. Red Squad has to be Starfleety and normal enough for Nog to join, but I wish they were a bit more fanatical and crazed. I'm always expecting the episode to go all children of the corn in space and reveal cadets killed their commanding officers, but that would be going too far. As it stands, it's fine, and for a franchise that is always blowing up ships, I thought that the destruction of the Valiant was done very well. So, to kind of get on a point that's come up a couple times, I don't think it's a valid criticism to complain about it feeling like it's a backdoor pilot for another show when they murder the entire crew. Mm. You know, like Mm -hmm. there's an episode of Miami Vice in the fifth season 
where uh, uh, Sonny Crockett's in it for about a minute and a half. And then the rest of the episode is uh, it's basically him going and, and giving a mission to this basically 21 Jump Street group from like the Vice Squad across town. And then the rest of the episode is just those guys doing a terrible episode of Miami Vice. Right. And that was supposed to be a backdoor pilot for this, for a new show, which never happened because <laughs> it was terrible. But that episode did not end with all of those characters getting shot in the face like it was The Departed. Right. So I think, I think you have a – I think you can complain about that stuff if it's clear that's what they're doing. But that's not what they're doing here because they kill everybody. Right. Colonel Doomsday says, Valiant, or as I call it, Reckless. Remember those annoying cadets in Red Squad who think their shit doesn't stink? They're back in this totally ludicrous episode where they're not only circumnavigating the Federation, but decide to take out a Dominion warship. The height of the Federation arrogance, a lesson to Nog about meeting his heroes, and proof that the writers still don't know what to do with the increasingly annoying Jake Sisko. Karen Farris is a particularly unsympathetic character. I laugh every time the Valiant gets destroyed, and the children shall lead. I don't think so. It's a one from me. Man bunch of old people watching this show. <laughs> last, last this sounds like comments from people who are bitter about young people. <laughs> Christian Pouch says, Valiant, it's fun to see another Defiant class ship, but goddamn, these Red Squad kids are stupid. It highlights everything wrong about Red Squad and possibly casts greater doubt on Starfleet Academy in general. I think it's good if blunt exploration of how Nog reacts to a seemingly charismatic but ultimately foolish leader, as well as the tendency to want to toe the line in a command structure like Starfleet. Uh, however, the acting of most of the Red Squad cadets, excepting maybe Collins, is w- excepting maybe Collins is weak. The points are a little blunt, and I don't think the scenario makes a lot of sense. But the Dominion, the big Dominion ship, was pretty cool. Thank you, patrons, for your thoughts about that. Um, yeah, it's in- it's interesting. I don't I don't know why we're sort of splintering at this part. Like, um, and there was some other episode that people really I'm, liked and we didn't. But it's an interesting little schism that we're having yeah, with the listeners. Yeah, I think. I- I think that's something that would be interesting to try and keep track of if this is going to keep happening to see what episodes that we give high marks that everybody else gives low marks and vice versa Hmm. to see if we can parse out some sort of like a theme that's going on. Yeah. What the clear difference in what each of us is looking for out of this show is. You guys uh, in the YouTube and uh, listeners, just write in what you think the difference is. I'm actually fairly interested in that because I found Valiant to be a, very interesting episode that I I enjoyed it while I was watching it and it's like it's not every episode of this show at this point where I'm like oh like this is really holding my attention but this one mm-hmm. did and yeah, same um that's unique and that's going against the stack deck of kid actors it starts with the Ferenginar references mm-hmm. it's got Jake and mm-hmm. Nog prominently like displayed and nothing against those two but they're not the favorite characters that I have on the show got a really weird opening where all of a sudden Odo is like Mr. Love. <laughs> Odo's that guy who uh, gets into a relationship and then it starts parsing out relationship advice to everybody yes. else. And it's like, listen, exactly. buddy, yeah. just calm the fuck down. Also, also, does does everybody on Deep Space Nine have access to a replicator? Because if they do, why are they paying money for replicated drinks? Yeah, that's the that's the greatest. I mean, Quirka has all these episodes about doubting that he's a good Ferengi. I think that him operating a successful bar in a Federation territory proves that he's a successful businessman. Yes, right? yeah. You know, uh, speaking of Ferengi, just briefly, uh, did you notice that Nog's makeup looked particularly bad? No, I didn't. I thought it looked really. I don't know if it was if it was just because he was so front and center, but I thought his his Ferengi headpiece looked really like rough and kind of crummy. You know what's funny? I, I rewatched uh, Emissary recently, and yeah. um, 
I think before we do the finale of DS9, I would like to do an episode where we touch, we look back at Emissary and talk sure. about it again. But what's funny about Emissary is that um, Quark has Rom's nose. They, oh, really? They, He's they, got the David Duchovny nose? They switched the noses on them at some point, but he That's has he looks exactly like Quark, except he has a wrong nose on his face. It's very strange. Yeah. Huh. You know, speaking of differences like that, I uh, uh, last night... Uh, you know, while I was doing something, I, I, I threw on a couple uh, next gen episodes, and I haven't watched any next gen since before we started doing Deep Space Nine. Probably since we did next gen it was the last time. Yeah, I probably watched since it. we watched them. Yeah, for the show. Yeah, and it was I put on Yesterday's Enterprise and then uh, Future Imperfect. And the first, the thing that struck me more than anything, uh, on top of the fact that Michael Dorn has gotten way better at playing Worf than he was then is how much better Deep Space Nine looks than TNG. Oh, like, TNG feels kind of cheap compared to Deep Space Nine. I don't know if it's the uniforms in DS9 or just the way that they're shooting it or whatever. I mean, because it's been a few years, so that stuff changes and improves and whatnot. But I, I mean, thought, every, I everything's think, really... Where we complain about everything's too dark in DS9, everything's overlit in TNG. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. But there, you know, there were like... There was a Ferengi in one of the episodes who was like... I think it was Future Imperfect. There's a Ferengi helmsman or something whose makeup looked terrible and it just yeah everything just felt really bright and really overlit and not it didn't look great uh and then i watched this today and i was like man this is night and day compared to what that used to what that looks like yeah uniforms are certainly a big part of that i think oh definitely i I like these ds9 uniforms i've said that before this is my favorite version of it um what are you going to give this one i'm going to give it a four I think out of five. Yeah, same. Same. Yeah, I was, I was, I was dancing around a five, but I, I don't think it's, it's there for a five. But it's definitely a four. Yeah, I think that problem is just too big. I, 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 I'm. It's just too bad that they didn't really hammer home that sort of uh, point about what they thought the episode wanted to be. Whether it wanted to be a uh, commentary on, you know, the, the fall, breaking apart of rules and like the mm-hmm. uh, obedience aspect of authoritarianism and stuff like that. Yeah. But they, they just kind of missed the mark on it, unfortunately. Yeah, you know, it's weird because you'd think that – I feel like we've watched enough of these where you can kind of feel what the formula should be as far as the structure of them. And the ones like this that don't totally hit the mark are usually the ones that forget to do certain parts of the formula. And for me, I think a lot of this one was there wasn't enough setup for Nog and Jake before they get to this situation as far as like – what their points of view on stuff is like they 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 get a little bit they you know they're barking at each other about going to Ferenginar or whatever weird um, that that's not the cold open it's weird yeah, that they wasted yeah. two minutes on the decks and quirk cold open for that story yeah because i feel like if you had leaned into a little bit more this this difference between uh um no, jake and nog where nog is about the mission and about the about starfleet and about you know x y and z which then leads you into a little bit more, you know, about wanting to impress to possibly get promoted, blah, 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 blah. That leads you a li- by the hand a little bit more into what happens. Um, Jake has that line about he just wants to survive. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't care about the um, – he has some line in it about he, he doesn't – it's not about the mission or anything. It's about Jake Sisko getting out of this alive sort of. Yeah, and that, yeah. that's the difference between them I think at that point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think leaning into that a little bit more would strengthen, I think, what the main theme is, uh, or it should have been anyway. Let's put it that way. Yeah. 
All right, four is for both of us. Thank you very much, guys, for listening to the show. You can check out all the social media links down below, Facebook, Twitter, Discord, if you want to talk to us. Patreon.com slash the Penske file is the best way to support the show. And as always, ratings and reviews are helpful. And if you uh, are on Reddit or something and you, people say, what's a good Star Trek podcast to listen to? If you could what's recommend the, this uh, one. What are some of the worst Star Trek podcasts that <laughs> people don't talk about? <laughs> Maybe... <laughs> <laughs> that's worth creating a dummy account for and just making that topic myself and then posting my own answer into it. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? This goes out to, uh, Thursday, so... Thursday. Yes. Uh, yeah. So Thursday... Friday, Saturday, uh, Thursday will be there is five days left on the Bloody Hell Kickstarter. We just passed 22,000 today. Uh, today being Tuesday when we recorded this, uh, which is amazing. Again, this has been... Better than I could have imagined, so thank you to everybody. And uh, if you want to get it, there's still one spot open for a guest spot on Bat-Ass, if that's something that's uh, that's interesting to you guys. Uh, but yeah, if, the, if you want to check it out still, you've got five days left, head over to bloodyhell.com, B-L-O-O-D-Y-H-E-L, one L, dot com. Yeah, this will be the last like I'm um... turning into like a radio ad. <laughs> B-L-O-O-D-Y-H-E-L. We got a lot com. of traffic on the mass bike here tonight, I'm looking at, at um. <laughs> Yeah, this will be the last podcast where you can mention that, Clay, because we're going to take Labor Day off. I have one uh, interview in the can that I'm going to put up uh, on Monday instead of a regular episode. So everyone and then have- after that, I'll have taken the money and run. That's right. This is giving you Long a head start. before the next one comes out. <laughs> so everyone enjoy the holiday weekend. Uh, it is Labor Day in the U.S. on Monday, so I will put up that uh, an interview with... Bill from TrekFan4387 is the Twitter account. It's a Twitter account that does a lot of... Um, that sounds like a fake, fake Twitter account. <laughs> it's me talking to a, a sock puppet. Um, Bill does a lot of uh, polling on the Twitter uh, with Star Trek fans, and I was fascinated by some of the responses. So I got him on to talk about people rating Star Trek. We talked about Discovery. We talked about a whole bunch of stuff, and uh, it'll be a good I am, listen. I am inspired, though. So if you see a, 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 an account on Reddit called trekfan 69 for you. <laughs> Talking about how how <laughs> terrible City on the Edge of Forever is. That's me. <laughs> Guys, thank you very much for listening. Enjoy the holiday weekend. We'll be back um, in a couple days with Profit and Lace in a week from now. So enjoy the interview with Bill on Monday, and then we will see you on Thursday. I think it's Profit and Lace. If I'm wrong, let me know. Otherwise, see ya. Thanks, guys. Bye.